Yesterday, um, I was able to get along to watch for Martin playing. Um, we were in the, check this out for a title, um, the Tunix Caramel Waver Challenge Cup. Try saying that um, several times fast and you will soon find you can't. Um, in fact, it was a challenge to say it once slow on the day. Um, this is a cup in which um, Scottish and Irish and Welsh teams all come together and play. And so yesterday we were playing a team from Ireland. And uh, we, we began the, the, the afternoon feeling quietly confident that we would be able to defeat this team. Um, after about half an hour, that confidence began to evaporate. Um, we didn't beat that team. Uh, we, we lost uh, to that team, sadly enough. Um, turns out they had a few very exceptional players. Um, but one of the things that really struck me as, as I was uh, watching this match unfold um, was listening to both managers trying to remind people what their roles were on the pitch. So every now and then, a player, maybe perhaps from frustration or, or maybe on our side of it, desperation, uh, was drifting out of position, trying to do something, but then leaving what they were meant to be doing a bit exposed. So you would hear the manager shouting, um, I don't know, Brian, get back to the right side, stick to the right, keep to the right, watch number four, trying to keep their heads focused on what they were meant to be doing and what their, their purpose was in that match. And... Um, of course, um, our team, I, I would say we did uh, very well, but it was just sadly we weren't as, as good as the other team. But it struck me that actually there's a very interesting um, comparison between what I was seeing there and, and what we're called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. We find ourselves on what should be the metaphorical field of play and our position and living our life um, for, for Christ, but every now and then we, we get drawn away. We come off what we're meant to be doing and who we're meant to be and what our role and function is in our life and in the places that God sends us to, we forget. The comfort from that is we don't have a manager on the sidelines trying to shout to get our attention, but we have a saviour who's right by our side who is aiming hard to get our attention. But it struck me just how much of an overlap there was in my mind. As you can tell, at times this match was quite quiet, giving me time to reflect on things. But it really struck me, the, the, the overlap between that and made me wrestle with the question of what we do, who we are, and what we're reflecting as, as, as we live our life day by day when, in effect, we are on the field of play, which is the mission field. Um, which is where you find yourselves Monday to Saturday as much as where you find yourselves on a Sunday morning. Who are we reflecting? Who, who, are, are we in a position? Are we remembering our role? Are we ready to um, perform that, that metaphorical killer pass? Or have we wandered off a bit and got a bit distracted? Um, the truth is that at times it will be a mixture of both. But... The key thing, and what, what really struck me as I explored these verses, is, in, is giving ourselves the opportunity, as much as we possibly can, to remember who we are and, what, and why we are in any given situation that we find ourselves in. 
So let's have a look at, at, at some of what's happening in these verses. Um, Jesus calls the 12 and he begins to send them out and, and he, he gives them authority over unclean spirits. Now it seems uh, rather obvious to say that Jesus is the one doing the sending. But actually I think there's something quite significant about that because what's happening is not merely that Jesus is sending people, right, off you go, go and do, go and do your thing. It's not what's happening here. What Jesus is saying is, I'm sending you, go and do my thing. Jesus is the one drawing the disciples to participate in his mission. Up to now, what you've seen is the disciples spending time with Jesus, beginning to understand who Jesus is, what his teaching is, what makes Jesus tick, how he responds to situations, understanding who God is, and beginning to take that on board themselves. And it's from that that they are sent. It's having spent this time with Jesus. It's having got to know who Jesus is. It's having got to know what makes Jesus tick. It's having got to know some of what the kingdom's principles are. Although, of course, all of this is always an ongoing lesson. It's always ongoing learning for every single person then and now. But that's what they've been doing. And it's at this point, having learned much about who Jesus is, that he's then preparing to send them two by two, into various different villages. Now, there's an element of that in which Jesus is recognising his time is short and he's got to get his message to as many places as possible. But he's been preparing this for them. And one of the key preparations of that is they've spent time with Jesus. They've spent time in his presence. We need to take note of that and ensure that we ourselves are spending that time with God ourselves. I think so often, and I speak for myself, uh, we can assume what Jesus would think or do in a situation. It's a very different thing to have a real sense of, maybe not certainty, but a real sense of conviction about what Jesus would do in a certain situation. And one of the key ways that we can do that, and Eddie pointed it out, read your Bible. Read your Bible not to have your assumptions confirmed, but to actually see what God is saying in it. Have a look into the Gospels and see how Jesus responds, how Jesus reacts, how Jesus treats people, what Jesus is teaching. And continually remind ourselves of these things. Because what he does is he makes the apostles, the disciples, participants in what he is doing. We still have similar models of that, even in our culture today. We've got the apprenticeship model. When somebody becomes an apprentice and um, if I understand the process right, you, you have to work very hard for very little money. But the intention behind that is at the end of that, you get um, a potential career. But you've generally learned that by working alongside somebody and learning what they know. And then you're asked to do the same yourself. It was a very similar model that was used when I was training as a nurse. Uh, depending on what the nurse you were given as your, as your, as your mentor, uh, you would learn. You, you were taught. You, you would be with them. You would see what they were doing. And ultimately, they would watch you doing the same thing. Then you would do it yourself. And you see Jesus using that very, a very similar model with the disciples as well. It's, it's discipleship, essentially, what Jesus has been doing up to this point. He's had the disciples with him. He's taught them. They've seen what he is doing. 
They have participated in small ways within that. And now he's asking them to go and do the same themselves. They are to try and practice that. Essentially, they're being sent into the surrounding towns and villages of the world to show the hope of Jesus Christ. And it struck me that we, as Christians today, are asked to do something very similar. To go into our families, some of which will be more complex than others. Our workplaces, some of which will be more complex than others. Our friendships, whatever our week actually looks like, and take something distinct into those spaces. Something that is not found anywhere else. Something that is of the kingdom of God into the spaces. But there's a couple of core questions that we must ask ourselves is, how well do we know our teacher? How well do we know Jesus? And are we living his ways? Because we can go into a situation and say, yes, I am a Christian, and then proceed to live entirely contrary to the ways of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was training as a nurse, I had one very overt Christian who was very declarative, if that's a word, about her faith. She was very happy to tell everyone who would listen that she was a Christian. But she was also one of the most resentful, rude, and uncooperative people that you could ever work a shift with. So for anybody who's heard her message of, I'm a Christian, the reflection and the conclusion they would have about Jesus was her practice. Which wasn't going to be drawn anybody to the actual genuine kingdom of God in the ways of Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves the question, how well do we know our teacher and are we actually living his ways? Because those questions really matter. Because we too amazingly, and I find this absolutely remarkable, we too are participants in the ministry of Jesus Christ. I don't know about yourselves, but I find that absolutely awesome. That God who creates and sustains all things, Jesus who sits enthroned at the right hand of God in heaven, calls each of us by name, makes us his children, and sends us into this world as his ambassadors, as salt, as light. It's remarkable, and it's actually quite exciting when you consider it, that being part of the body of Christ isn't just a status, it's a calling. That we, as the Casting Crown song says, would be the hands and feet of God. So Jesus Sends. He makes the disciples participants and they are to be the ones that reveal the kingdom's power. They're not sent weakly into the world, but with the power of God within them as well. They're, they're the ones that can, be, that can cast out, given authority over unclean spirits. I mean, that's something quite remarkable when you think about it, considering the power over those is the fact that the kingdom of darkness is superseded by the kingdom of light. They're given authority over the power of the kingdom of darkness and the effect that it can have on other people. There's something quite striking about that, actually, because whilst I would not expect any of us to be going into our workplaces and casting out demons um, in the name of Jesus Christ, you might, at times, if you 
If you're fortunate, find yourself in that situation. I use that word fortunate loosely. Um, but I think that same authority remains in us in, a, in, the, in the sense, actually, that we too are sent out to show that the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness by how we live, by what we say, by the authority and, and, and the lifestyle that we show. We reveal that kingdom's power, that kingdom's righteousness. We reveal to this world, actually, that God, God has won. Jesus is Lord. We sang that song earlier, build your kingdom here. One of the lyrics in that is, no force in hell can stop these beauty changing hearts. That's a remarkable line. And we sung that line, but I asked the question, do we believe that line? That no force in hell can stop these beauty changing hearts. And the reason that's the case is because Jesus Christ is Lord. He sits enthroned in heaven. We don't need to wonder about as Christians, discouraged, disheartened and defeated. Because Jesus is Lord. He reigns. The kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. But it's up to us to live like that's the reality. We don't need to be pessimists because Jesus is Lord. Victory is his. Hope is his. And the amazing thing is we can lift up to him the one who we know hears our prayers, the things that we see going on around us, that we know needs his intervention and hope. So don't get downcast. It's one of the things, there's too many downcast Christians, we don't need to be downcast. We've been forgiven, we've been set free, we've been reconciled. God has adopted us and made us his children and assured us that the victory is his, that Jesus is coming back. And even though the kingdom is here, Partially and not fully, it's coming in its fullness in which the world will be transformed in hope and righteousness and will be established. Every tear will be washed away. Death will be gone. Satan gone. Sin defeated. And a new era will come. What in all of that should we be wondering about going, have you seen the front page of this paper? Woe is me. No. We should look at the front page in the paper and say, is that the best you've got? I'm going to take this to the King of Kings. Let's see what he does about it. We've been given a kingdom which is already victorious. Don't live in that kingdom as if you're defeated because we're not. And this takes us to the next thing that's really significant, which is trusting. Jesus' thing about take nothing in these verses, we can kind of glance over that a little bit, Okay. He charged them to take nothing on their journey except a staff, which is a stick, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, and they were to wear sandals, but not put on two tunics. <laughs> it seems very instructive, okay? <laughs> and it is, it's very instructive. But what Jesus is essentially doing is taking away ev almost every sensible piece of equipment that they would take on a journey, there was a, there was a group of journeymen called the Cynics who, who were known for taking as little as possible on, on journeys, and that, that was their thing. Even they would look at Jesus' list and say, that's ridiculous. Because, you see, we read this list and we think, 
maybe even subconsciously. Oh, that, 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 they've not got much with them, but well, you just jump in the car and up you go. Um, sorry. They'd be on foot. Now, the sandals, thankfully, were, were quite a big deal at that point. But they, they, these were long journeys that they would be essentially walking at times. And they were going into these towns and villages uncertain of the kind of welcome that they would get in these places with nothing to eat, with no actual provisions with them. So this take nothing is not kind of like, um, we, we would be thinking it would almost be like um, if, if I was to decide and say, right, we're going to walk to Inverness. Okay? We're walking to Inverness. You can only take one coat, which, <laughs> as you know, in Scottish weather, there's a risk right away. Um, you're not allowed your mobile phone. No mobiles at all. Maybe a map would be nice. And we're just going to go for it. And we're not just going to stick to the roads, which should keep it all nice and simple, because there was no signpost back then. Right? We're going to cut over the hills. We're just going to go for it and see if we end up where we're meant to be. How many of us would be up for that? I can tell you right now, I'm ruled out by the one coat. Right? That's it. I'm, I'm, I went to the football yesterday, and I had five layers on. I was like the Michelin man. Good job I didn't have to raise my hands to celebrate a goal because I probably couldn't do it. <laughs> but this is, this is what Jesus is saying. He's pulling away the, the, the kind of things um, that would give them self-sufficiency. As the word biblical commentary says, this list deprives the traveller of self-sufficiency. Jesus takes away with his instruction that which would encourage these people to rely on their own abilities to provide for themselves. Because one of the things that Jesus is communicating at this point is, is that lesson of trust, that the path of mission is one of trust in the goodness of God. And I think that's really significant, that the path of mission is one in the trust of the goodness of God. They're called onto this path of trust. That's what they were sent in. And in a sense, that was vulnerable because they're sent into these situations not knowing the kind of reception that they were going to get in any of the villages that they would go to. In fact, being warned that in some of these villages, they weren't going to be given a warm reception. They weren't going to get bread in those villages. They weren't going to get provision in those villages. They were going to get rejection in those villages. Let's hope that wasn't village one, two, three, or four, because they would be getting pretty hungry at that point in time. But they're being asked to trust in God that he would provide, that he would be with them, and that he would be the one that took care of them as they did his mission. Because once again, this is recognizing that it's his, God's mission. And in God's mission, they're being asked to trust in his provision. And that can be a really difficult thing to do. It made me ask the question, how much, we all say we, we trust God, but when God asks us to, to take leaps of faith, that's when that's really tested. Um, how much do we actually really profoundly trust God? I guess I could ask the question, do we trust God with our call? And what I mean by that is where you will find yourself as you journey through your week next week and the people that you will encounter as you go through your week. Do we trust God with our call and with his world? That he will be working in his mission. Because I think sometimes we are desperate to want to fix everything ourselves. Desperate to want to fix everything ourselves. And I know I could be guilty of this, not 
in the DIY sense, because I, I don't do DIY, I just avoid it. Um, but in the sense of when we see um, situations, we're desperate to get in there and profoundly fix it, and there's something right about that, but actually there's, there is a much deeper thing going on here, that this is God's mission, it's his power that we need to look for. And that power is there, and it's available. And I think it's sometimes why Christians, when we feel we're being slighted, we're very prone to going on the attack. Because we assume this is something that we need to defend, something that we need to protect, something that's vulnerable, something that's weak. The kingdom is none of those things. The kingdom is victorious. The kingdom is ruled by the one who sits enthroned in heaven. The kingdom isn't ours. We are drawn in. And the mission that we find ourselves on isn't essentially ours we are participants in Jesus' mission. So we don't need to attack. We don't need to defend. We need to live like Jesus did. So are we unnaturally trusting people? And finally, in this part, in trusting others, there, there's this really interesting section when, again, Jesus gives very specific instructions um, in verses 10 and 11. And he says to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there, stay there until you depart from there and from there to that town. And if, any of you will, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, we, we might find both of those instructions actually really puzzling. And in some senses, in our culture, they are. But I think what, what Jesus is teaching in the first one is actually something really, really significant. One of the things about if you enter a place and you are successful, there's always that urge to climb, isn't there? So supposing the first house that welcomes you as you go into a town is, well, let's just say it's um, not the five-star um, Ritz house in that town. Maybe not even the Premier Inn. Maybe it's, I, I don't know, I'm not going to name anywhere else that's worse than that, making trouble. Um, you never know who's listening. Um, but, but what Jesus is saying is that even, and of course this applies directly to when they are finding that the doors are opening and when they are finding success, it's not about their betterment. It's not about them finding, oh, well, I've got, I, I, I started here, but hey, check that house up there. They'll have me now. Get baking rolls in the morning up there. Well, not in that time. You certainly wouldn't. But in our culture, <laughs> that would certainly be for me a pool. Um, it's not about that. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, no, you, you go in and you serve and you live and you root yourself in that place until the moment that you move on. This isn't about zigzagging around to get the best benefits for you, but about going in there and sharing the hope and the message of the kingdom of God to those people until the point that you leave. So it's not about moving yourself up the ladder. And, and, and this is actually really applicable to some of what's become distorted ministry today that you, you keep working to move yourself up and, and you, you see all these people um, like $50 million pl dollar planes and all this kind of nonsense. This is the sign of success. You've got the, the, the funky looking suit. By the way, this suit is not an expensive suit, right? You probably worked that one out yourself. Um, but they've got all this finery. That's not the elements of success. And Jesus deconstructs that here. Success isn't any of that stuff. Success is doing what God is asking you to do in the place that he's put you in. And to stay there and to work until, of course, you're moved on. But there's then this, this, this interesting part about if they will not receive you, 
what do you do? Now, I don't know about yourselves, but to us, that doesn't seem like a really big deal. If somebody leaves our, leaves our town and starts shaking dust off their feet, we'd probably be thinking, eh, what's that all about? It would go entirely over our heads. Maybe if somebody was um, leaving your house and they were going a bit like this when they left, you would be a bit like, well, that's a bit rude. I hoovered last week, you know. You would maybe be a bit offended at that point in time, but actually one of the things that was part of Orthodox Jew practices is when they went through Gentile towns, when they left the town, they would stop and they would shake the dust of that town off their feet so that it wasn't clinging to them. So there was something of offence in that action. And the question then is, is in what nature is Jesus using that practice to make his point, and there is a few different ways in which that could have been the case. Was it that this, this town that had rejected um, the, the message were, were basically pagans now, no better than anybody else? That, um, as Jesus would say, some of the towns are no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that the point that Jesus is making? Is the point that um, you would walk off and there would be no further contact? I've given you a try, that's it, job done. Um, or it's, in fact, the third one, they've, they've, they've went, they've, they've done what they were meant to do. They shake the dust off their feet in the sense, that is my testimony against these people. I'm going to now entrust them to God. And while there are elements of all three, perhaps, in what's going on, I would say that it's more so that the latter one that's happening here. That if, you, if your framework is that this is God's mission that I'm on and I'm participating in God's mission, if a town won't accept that message, then the right thing is to do is to move on, to say, well, I've tried, but I need to move on. Because it isn't about me and my oratory skills. It's about the doors that God is opening and the doors here aren't open. So I'm going to move on. I will shake the dust off. I will entrust these people to God and I will move on. Because the mission isn't about the wonderful skills of the disciples and their oratory brilliance to to bring people to faith. The mission is about proclaiming the kingdom and seeing what God is doing through that. So they're called to move on. And part of that as well reflects the urgency of the time that they are in too. But the final thing I want us to understand from this is there's an element of living in this as well. That call to repent is a call that is there because something new has happened. When Jesus came and says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. He's proclaiming something new. This kingdom is something new. It's a kingdom that is here in part, but we still away its fullness when Jesus returns. But when Jesus came proclaiming those words, everything changed at that point. Something new was established in Israel and began to spread throughout the world and it's not a mirror of any culture that it finds itself in. Not a mirror of any culture that it finds itself in. It's something new, something distinct. And that call then to repentance is a call to change. It's a call to change. It's a call to recognize that the way one was living their life isn't compatible, isn't in line with that kingdom and to then seek to live in line with that kingdom, that change of mind. And it's not, by the way, merely for those outside of the church. And I think this is a mistake that sometimes we can make because we are the ones who are called to be a holy people. We are the ones 
who are called to seek first the kingdom of God. We are the ones who are called to be salt and light. We are the ones who are called ambassadors for Jesus Christ and called to live like him. So that call to change, that call to repentance applies to us as well because we are the ones who are going to be sent. All of us. If we have that faith in Jesus Christ, if we've put our trust in him, what the end result of today is, is is not that we come sing some songs, shake some hands, drink some tea, eat some biscuits, although all that stuff is lovely. It's that we ready ourselves to go into this world and to the, before people that God loves as much as he loves us to be like Jesus Christ. Earlier this week I was asked the question, what opportunities does the church have in our culture? That's a question I, I, I've wrestled with a lot um, recently. What are the opportunities in, in, in the season that our, our, the country that we live in, in the season that we're in at the moment, what opportunities do, do, does the church have? Do, does the kingdom have? And one of the things that really strikes me is that we are given the ministry of reconciliation. We're reconciled to God to take that message into the world. We're not called to be cultural warriors for the left side or the right side, but called instead to be sent by the King of Kings to show him to the world around us. Jesus is that hope. What Jesus wants to send into this world is him through us. That will show essentially how deep our repentance is, how deep that change of mind is in us about whether the calling that Christ has laid on our life is greater than some of the other things that can weigh deeply on our minds as well. Jesus is the hope of this world, not politics, not anything else. So our repentance, I guess, is in line with how aligned we are to the kingdom and its ways. And that's why discipleship matters. Not merely knowing about Jesus or even becoming like Jesus, as vital as both those things are, but knowing how to live like Jesus in our week and in our culture. And that's kind of why I prattle on a lot about how we live day by day, because that's the part that profoundly matters in so many ways. That's us on our mission field, doing what God has prepared us to do, Seeking to be the person that Christ needs us to be in that situation. So I want to close very simply with a question. Is Jesus shining for you in your mission field? Let's pray. Father, we begin our prayer by thanking you that Jesus is Lord that he is victorious and that he sits enthroned in heaven. He is the name above every other name. 
There is no name greater and there is no power greater than he. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us into your kingdom. That you have made us who were once not a people, your people. That we are that people of your own possession called to show your excellencies and your goodness to the world around us. We pray, Lord, that as we seek to do that, that you would give us your spirit in abundance. That, Lord, when we fail, and we all will at times, we wouldn't dwell on that. We wouldn't become morbid about that. We wouldn't become obsessive about that. But we would look to you, the God who is our Saviour, and call upon your goodness, your mercy, and your power to help us live as your people in the situations that we find ourselves in. We look, Lord, into our world, into our nation even, and know, Lord, how desperately hope is needed, how desperately light is needed, how desperately reconciliation is needed. And this morning we pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for our leaders. Lord, even mentioning that word evokes a, re a reaction from people. But Lord, we pray and we ask for humility, for wisdom, for integrity from our leaders. But above all, Lord, that you will be at work and there will be godliness from them. Father, we pray for your churches in this nation. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light and to show the ways of Jesus Christ to our nation. We pray, Lord, for those who feel vulnerable, who feel exposed, who feel anger. And we ask, Father, that you would move them from those situations, that you would protect especially the vulnerable, Lord, at these uncertain times. We pray against violence, Lord, which is beginning to rear its head at times, is um, emotions build. We pray, Father, instead that you would bring peacemakers into those groups, de-escalators, Lord, who would make people think differently. But Father, we pray in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of all that's going on, Lord, that you would be at work, that you would have mercy on this nation. And that somehow in the midst of all of this, Lord, through your people, through your power, the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted up. Father, we pray knowing that these prayers, as important as they are for our nation, equally apply to so many other nations. So this morning, Lord, we pray against injustice where it is, where there is oppression, where there is violence, where there is war. We pray for world leaders, Lord, and ask again for humility, for godliness. We pray, Father, asking for, praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters as well, Lord, for your protection over them. And that even today, Lord, that their lives would serve as an example which, humil which humbles leaders making these oppressive decisions, Lord. Help us, Lord, here and throughout the world. And we just pray, Father, that you would be at work and that your name would be glorified. We thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God, a God who is always with us, who never leaves us or forsakes us. And we pray, Father, 
giving you thanks for where we've seen you answer prayers. We thank you, Lord, that Mark and Carolyn are back with us this morning, Lord. We give you such thanks for their testimony of how your hand has been with them. We ask your blessing and for the continued healing of Mark as well. We can give you thanks, Lord, there, but we pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters going through different trials. Some we will know of and others that we won't. We pray that same wonder, work and power and faithfulness will be at work in their lives as well. Father, as you are an encouragement to us, help us be an encouragement to each other. As you are faithful to us, help us be faithful to each other. As you, are faith, as you love us, Lord, help us love each other and those that we encounter this coming week. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, one of the big things that's been happening 